We can go ahead and grab a seat and uh, I'll dismiss our kiddos. If you're heading that way, follow the folks in the yellow shirts and Miss Antonia's back there waving. Um, well, uh, Mosaic Church, what a joy it is to be with you uh, for worship. And I, I just want to say that it is a joy uh, to be one of your pastors. I, I really enjoy being a pastor at Mosaic Church. Oftentimes, uh, when I meet with people or I hear from people, they'll feel like they got to qualify my time and say, hey, I know you're busy. Hey, I know you're working on this this week. Um, and I just smile because I really delight ministering to you, shepherding you, pastoring you. Like, I, I don't want to be anywhere else but here in Richardson with Mosaic, uh, trying to realize this vision to see the whole city covered every square inch with the gospel. Uh, we're in a series uh, in the Psalms. Uh, every summer at Mosaic, we look to the Psalms uh, intentionally because we believe the Psalms uh, have something for us, have something for the Christian life. And we're trying to learn what does it mean to process our emotional lives, but really all of our lives in the presence of God. And the Psalms are so helpful for us in that lane because the Psalms, there's, there's a lot of variety. There's a breadth of types of Psalms. It's poetry, Hebrew poetry. So there's a sense of beauty, a sense of truth that we don't find in other genres. The Psalms are a book of prayers, of songs, of poems used for Jewish worship and now under the new covenant used for our worship. And so we want to look to the Psalms in the summer to try and experience an equipping, a teaching, a comfort, and a correction. And so we're going to be in Psalm 9 uh, today. And so if you want to turn there, flip there, whatever you got to do to get there, you should get there because that's where we're going to be. And um, I have been really encouraged uh, with David's prayer in Psalm 9, and my hope is that it would encourage you. Psalm 9 is a, a plea for deliverance. David is facing a threat. He has a need. There is a very real threat against his life, his army's life, and the nation of Israel. And he's coming to the Lord with a plea, with a prayer. And there are, in this psalm, there are individual components, and then there are communal components. And likely what's happening is this was originally a real prayer that David prayed and journaled and wrote down, but it's been arranged for a corporate setting. It's been arranged to help the Jewish people worship and pursue the Lord and love the Lord and bring their needs uh, to the Lord. And so let's read uh, this psalm together, and at the end of it, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. And I would invite you to say, thanks be to God. That's a way that we confirm together that God has spoken. He has not left his people in silence. And it's 20 verses. So dial in, because we're going the whole way. Um, and it's, it's, it's a lot. Psalm 9. To the choir master, according to Muth Laban, a psalm of David. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exalt in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. 
The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruin. Their cities were you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. And he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed. A stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the people his deeds. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lifted me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk in the pit that they made, in the net that they hid. Their, Their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the works of their hands. Higion, Selah. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Selah. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we, we intentionally pause right here because we need you. We need you in this moment. We need you in this morning. We need you as we gather for worship. We don't want this to be just a routine, a social experience. We don't want this to be meaningless in our lives. We want to experience power. And in order for that to happen, we need you. And so I pray that you would fill this space, fill our hearts, minds, and souls with your powerful presence in the person and work of the Spirit. And we trust you to do that. We expect you to do that. And pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm assuming that most of us in here have had the experience when you go out to a restaurant and you have bad service right? You've experienced that. You go out to dinner and you're excited about a new restaurant and the food gets out and your drink is empty. And it stays empty the whole time and your, your dinner's ruined. Come on, man, fill my drink. Or maybe you, you needed to go somewhere. You needed to get to a movie or get home to get the kids to bed and you, you come to the checkout time and they're nowhere to be found. And you're frustrated. You're out with your family or maybe a date. Maybe you're on a date and you have a real need at the restaurant. You have a problem. I need this person. And they don't show up. Some restaurants have tried to address this problem by giving you a little computer on the table. and Say, hey, we know service can be bad. It happens. So just use this computer. It'll solve your problem. But you've likely been to a restaurant and realized, I have this need And the person who's supposed to help me isn't around. They're nowhere to be found. And I think sometimes when we bring needs, when we bring problems, when we ask 
God something in prayer, we treat it like he's a bad waiter. He doesn't show up. He doesn't answer. I don't feel his presence. It feels like he's not listening, like he doesn't care. At best, it's the reality of, oh, he must be busy. He must be so busy and my need is just kind of insignificant. But that's an assault against his character, right? If he is who he says he is, then he hears you and he cares. At worst, he's, he's in the kitchen with the cooks telling jokes. You ever had that experience? When you, you have, I, I got to check out, I, I'm just going to go find my waiter or waitress. And you find them just chilling. They're not, they're not even doing anything. They're chopping it up in the kitchen telling jokes. And sometimes I, I, I think we wonder, does God care about what I'm bringing to him? Is he, is he just doing his thing? And if that resonates with you, which I think it resonates with most of us, it resonates with me, Psalm 9 has wisdom for us. Because in Psalm 9, we see David bringing a petition. He brings a need. He makes a plea. He is being threatened physically. He could die. His army could die. The nation could fall. He's bringing a very important need to God. But he brings that need in a, in a specific way. And it's going to help us as we bring our needs before God. And the invitation from Psalm 9 is to organize your prayers around the throne of God. To organize your prayers about, around the very real reality of the throne room of God. The spiritual reality of God, our King, enthroned in heaven, reigning and ruling over the earth. This is what Psalm 9 is inviting us into. It's really, when you, when you look at the this, this psalm, everything revolves around this reality. And David identifies this reality in verses 7 to 10. He says, in contrast to Israel's enemies who end in ruins and have been erased from the earth, David says this, but the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice and he judges the world with righteousness. And he judges the people with uprightness. And when you, when you see this, this reality that David affirms, he anchors the entire psalm in that reality. That God is enthroned in heaven and he is reigning and ruling with the core values of justice and righteousness. And as we pan out, we see this all over the Bible. All of the biblical authors, all of the biblical narrative is centered around this reality that there is a real place in heaven where God reigns and rules, where God is glorified, where God is praised. And what we need to begin to learn is to organize our prayers and ultimately to organize our lives around the reality of the throne room of God. We see it all over the Bible. Listen to Isaiah 6. 
the, the call of the prophet. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Psalm 47, God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. We see in the New Testament too, Hebrews 8. Now the point in what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest, speaking of Jesus, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. He calls God majesty, the majesty in heaven. I think this is what Jesus is getting at in the Lord's Prayer, where he invites us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's inviting us to recognize the reality of the king enthroned in heaven and saying, your kingdom come down to earth. And this is how we are to organize our prayers. But as we look at the scriptures and in Psalm 9, what we find is that the throne room of God is a multifaceted reality. It's a place where God dwells and rules all that exists, all the heavens, all the earth. It's a place of majesty, of glory, of greatness. It is a place of power and authority. It is a real place that rules the earth with the core values of righteousness and justice. What does God desire? Mercy and justice. It's a place of praise. Every time we get a glimpse of the throne room of God, there are spiritual beings, there are people praising God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And it is a place of grace. The centerpiece of the throne of God is what Jesus has done on the cross. It is a place of grace as God pours out his mercy and grace through the finished work of Jesus. It is one of the centerpieces in the throne of God. And when we organize our prayers around the throne, everything changes. Everything changes. What we pray changes. And that's what we see in David's prayer. He starts the thing with thanksgiving. That's strange, is it not? He, there's a threat of violence against him, against the army, against the people. I'd be freaking out. Wouldn't you? Ah! They're coming! They're coming! They're going to get us! But what does David do? He thanks God. He praises God. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exalt in you. He's praising God, but he's committing to future praise. He's saying, I'm going to praise you right now, and I'm going to praise you when you show up and deliver me. It's a confident expectation that God is going to move. 
And it's this strong desire because David has spent time reflecting on and recognizing the throne of God. He wants to praise wherever, wherever he can. I'm going to praise you now and I'm going to praise you in the future. I'm going to praise you uh, the next day and the next day and the next day. But also woven into his prayer is a remembrance of God's faithfulness. He says, you have maintained my just cause. You've shown up time and time and time again. You have rebuked the nations. You've laid waste to the enemy, to the wicked. One of my professors, he used to say this all the time, and it bugged me because it was like, dude, how many times can you say that? He, was, he said, what God has done in the past is a model and a promise for what he will do in the future. But he's too creative to do the same thing twice. This is the God we worship. He has proven himself faithful in the history of the Bible, and he's proven faithful in your life. As he's wooed you to Jesus, as he's moved in your life in power, as he's awakened you to the realities of the gospel. And then, in verse 13, David finally comes to his plea. And what does he ask for? Grace. <laughs> it's, it's another odd thing to ask for. Be gracious to me? Because what he realizes is God's movement of protection and deliverance, God's movement to protect God's people is an act of grace. It's an act of mercy. He says, be gracious to me. Show us favor as we try and defend your people. And again, praise shows up. He says, be gracious to me so I can just keep praising you. Notice the argument David's making. He's saying, hey, God, show up. I want you to deliver us so that we can keep praising you on the earth. His commitment is, hey, God, if you show up, I want to praise you. I'm going to give glory to you. I want to sing and tell of your great works. I'm not going to stop. And then he doubles down in his request at the end in verses 19 to 20. He says, arise, O Lord. Arise. Put them in fear, O Lord. And essentially what David is, he's, he's asking, he's pleading God, be gracious to me and reveal your kingship. Reveal your glory. Reveal to everyone in the world the realities of the throne of God. That the throne of God is in control over everything on the earth. And he will, he will save God's people. He will move. He will defend. He will protect. He will go to war to protect those that he has called to himself. And so the realities of the throne of God, they shape what we pray. And that's the invitation, is to begin organizing your prayers around the throne of God. And one of the ways you can do that is just by becoming aware and familiar with this real place where God is enthroned, governing the world through justice and righteousness. Isaiah 6 is a great passage to go to. Hebrews is another great book just to dig in. Because when we pray, 
in a way that revolves around the realities of the throne of God. It changes what we pray, but it also changes the way we view the world. It changes the way we view our lives and our problems. It gives perspective. It gives a new viewpoint. And David, he identifies this in verses 9 to 10. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed. A stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. This idea of a stronghold is a metaphor. It's a military metaphor of a fortress that is elevated. It is secure. It is defensible. And what what we find is that as David organizes his prayer around the throne of God, he is lifted up. He is elevated to a stronghold. And this is a comfort because he is near to the Lord, but it also gives a viewpoint because of where he's at. When an army is in a stronghold, they have a viewpoint that they wouldn't have if they were on the ground in a vulnerable position. So it's a place of safety, but it also gives perspective. It allows you to see where the enemy is, see things clearer, the big picture, any weak spots. You know what's happening. You're aware of those things, and that's what happens when we organize our prayers around the realities of God's glory, God's greatness, God's throne, the realities that God is alive. He's not dead. God is alive. He is alive, and he is working, and he's doing everything according to his righteous character. He's doing everything with the core values of justice and mercy and grace. And when we organize our prayers, when we come to God with our needs, organized around the throne room of God, we enjoy security and peace because we're with the king. And we find a better vantage point to view our lives and view our problems. Take anxiety, for example. There's a lot to be anxious about in our world. Our world is broken. We've just experienced a pandemic A lot of us are trying to parent little ones and bumping up against this reality that we can only protect them so much. There's a lot to be anxious about. And when we bring that anxiety to the Lord in prayer, we organize our prayers around the throne room of God, it changes our experience. It might not not cure you of your anxiety, but it is going to give you a perspective on it. Because it pulls you out of the intensity of what you're feeling and experiencing. It pulls you out of it into an elevated place. Takes the pressure off and you can begin to assess and process your emotional life in the presence of God. In the throne of God. Now, I don't, I don't want to minimize some of what you are going through. Because I know you, and I know that you are, some of you are suffering greatly. We have a lot of folks who are suffering infertility, child loss, job struggles, marital conflict, sickness, chronic sickness. I don't want to minimize that and say, hey, if you just, you just organize all your prayers around the throne of God, you'll be good. It's nothing. 
I don't know what God will do. But I do know that he has something for you here. And as you step in and organize your prayers around the throne room of God, he's going to show up. He's going to speak to you. He's going to minister to you. God is real. Our prayers, prayer is a very real way that we can engage the living God. He's going to do something in that space as you organize your prayer around the throne room of God. But I can tell you this. I don't know what he's going to do uniquely for you and to you, what he's going to share with you and what he's going to bring into your life. But I know that he cares. And I know that the more time we spend in the throne room of God, what we realize is that God is not inviting you to walk through something he hasn't walked through himself. God has endured grief. God has endured pain. God the Father knows what child loss is like. He's experienced that. And what we find in the throne room of God is a God who feels, a God who weeps, a God who is grieved. He's not a king that is, everybody obey me. Do what I say or else. He is a God that is gently and patiently leading the earth and the world ultimately to redemption and healing and restoration. And he's a God who is not detached from your suffering. He's a God who's connected. He's a God who's available. He's a God who's attentive. And he's a God who feels for you. And that means something. For those of us who are struggling with sickness, we're in pain, and there's no hope. Doctors can't give us answers. We've prayed, and and nothing happens. God is not detached from your experience. God is with you. God feels for you, and he wants to do something in your life. And so the realities of the throne of God change what we pray. It also changes how we view the world, and ultimately, it changes us. We change in the process. We change because as we intentionally align our prayers and hearts to the desires of our king and the kingdom, we begin to look more and more like him. The more time we spend in the throne room of God, we begin to form into his desires, his his loves, his work in the earth, justice and righteousness, God's glory and fame on the earth. And ultimately, what we find is as a person begins to look more and more godly, they become more and more other-focused. They begin to see others more than they see themselves. And as we bring our needs before God, recognizing the throne room of God, something happens to us. There's a change. There's a desire to consider more the justice in our city. If we at Mosaic were a people that were organizing all our prayers around the throne room of God, the injustice in the city of Richardson would bother us. It would frustrate us. And that's what we want. That's how we're going to see Our vision at Mosaic realized is when we become so, so frustrated, so angry 
with the injustice in our city. We change. And this is what we see in, in this psalm, is we see a changed man. Sometimes we come to the psalms and we think, wow, David, man, now that's a godly guy, right? But if you know anything about the Bible, that's not true. <laughs> David was just as broken as you and me. David, he was, he was weak. He was prone to fear. He was tempted by power and lust, and he failed at times. But what we find in Psalm 9 is we find the fruit of a man who spent day after day, month after month, year after year, organizing his prayers around the throne room of God. He was captured by this vision of God in the heavens. And we see uh, the work of a changed man. A man who values justice and righteousness. He declares in his prayer, the wicked shall return to Sheol. All the nations that forget God. God cares for the needy and the hope of the poor shall not perish. You see a man just like going nuts with praise. At any, any chance, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to praise you now. I'm going to praise you yesterday. And I'm going to praise you tomorrow. And that changes us. It makes us more caught up in what God is doing in the world and less caught up in our frustrations, our worries. We've got to deal with those, yes. But there is an opportunity to line up with what God is up to, to line up with the realities of the throne room of God because the throne room of God is connected to the earth. There is a very real connection to what is happening in heaven and happening on the earth. And the number one person who is establishing and reestablishing that connection is the Holy Spirit. And we talk a lot in church world about what does it look like to have a personal relationship with Jesus. But I think just as important, we need to ask the question, what does it look like to have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit? Because as we engage Him in prayer... We feel that connection. We know that connection. And he turns our eyes. The Holy Spirit just, all he wants to do is shine a spotlight on Jesus. Enthroned in heaven. He's trying to direct our attention to heaven. But the trouble is that more often than not, our prayers look like this. Our lives, our needs... Our frustrations take the throne. And we come to God and we say, where are you? You're not here. Why aren't you moving? God, do you see what I'm going through? And our head is down. And God's ears are closed to a self-centered prayer. He cares. Don't misunderstand me. But God's ears are closed to a prayer that is self-centered. Because if he grants the desires and requests of a self-centered prayer, he is just sending you further and further away from him. And he's trying to invite you to step back and to recognize the throne room. There's a, there's a God in heaven and he is doing something on the earth and it changes the way we pray. It changes our perspective and it changes us and we begin to value things that we've never valued before. We begin to think more about our neighbor, think more about our brother or sister who's struggling. We become more godly 
I was a waiter for 12 years. And I was out to eat with my wife last night, and I said, sweetie, I do not miss waiting tables at all. And she's like, that's funny. You, you sometimes say you are. And I was like, not anymore. <laughs> I'm like so removed. But when I go out to eat, there's a different experience. Because I've been to the kitchen, right? I've been in that spot of waiting tables. I know. Jeff Shelfo, he, he referenced stress dreams. Most servers get them. Where they like, they're, they, can't, they can't get what their tables need and they can't refill drinks. And they're stress dreams. It's a nightmare for someone who's a, a waiter or a server. But when I go out to eat, my experience is different. I talk to the server differently because I've been to the kitchen. I've been in that environment. It's hard. I'm different in those spaces. And this is what Psalm 9 is trying to help us understand, that the more time you spend in the throne room of God, your prayers are going to be different. Your perspective is going to be different. You're going to be different. And that's the invitation this morning. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for your faithful presence at Mosaic Church. It's, It's very, very evident and abundant that you are not detached from our church, that you are working, that you are moving, that you are doing something among us that is beautiful as you weave a people together in love as you minister to the hopeless, as you care for the anxious, and you deliver us from the self-centered push of our hearts. Father, we love you, and we thank you for Psalm 9, and pray that you would give us a vision of your glory, that you would give us a glimpse of the realities of the throne room of God, And we would see Jesus there, existing in reality, fully God and fully man. There is a real place where Jesus is enthroned, and he is ministering, he is praying, he is advocating, he is interceding. He's he's probably sweating, because he is working hard to care for his people and accomplish his mission in the earth. And so I just pray, as we move to communion, I pray that you, Father, would minister to our hearts and would encourage us in Jesus. I pray that you would awaken us to your mercy and grace and the invitation to trust, to believe that you care, and to feel that caring presence this morning. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.